I'm Dan. And I'm Dan. Welcome to the We Built This Business podcast as we sit down with ambitious entrepreneurs to discuss their journey and hear about the highs and the lows of running your own company. Each episode, we will find out what it takes to be an owner of a business as we learn about the challenges, the successes, the failures and the future. Hello, welcome to We Built This Business podcast with Dan and Dan. So today we have with us Mr. Alan Donegan. How are you, Alan? I'm excellent, thank you. Thank you for having me on the show. I've been looking forward to it. So obviously you're not local with us. I'm not local. I'm currently in Thailand. Uh, I became nomadic and escaped the cold British winters and swapped them for warm, (laughs) sunny climes. Well, we're in South Oxfordshire today. It's minus four degrees. There's a little bit of base ice on the ground. So you've definitely made the right choice there, Alan. Um, (laughs) Right. So today we want to find out about where you've come from, a little bit about your background, and obviously the future of Alan Donegan and all the business enterprises that you're involved with. So to start with, what does your business do, Alan? Uh, My main business is called The Rebel School, and we teach people to start businesses without debt around the world. Excellent. And are they located all over the world? I started it with my friend Simon in the UK, and uh, we didn't have the money to buy a business school. So we started doing pop-up events around the country. And then this year, we finally got our own building. So we have a permanent building in Westminster, and then it's run as a franchise in Colombia, France, New Zealand, all around the world in different areas. Fantastic. So you've got your own building in Westminster. Is that Westminster in London? It is indeed, yeah. I have not been there yet, but I'm very excited to come back (laughs) in the summer when it's warmer and come and visit. Minus six when you said that, that definitely put me off. (laughs) so what's the weather like in thailand at the moment i imagine it's a little bit warmer than that today it's been 25 degrees blue skies sunshine and pad thai all around not jealous at all absolutely (laughs) i mean it sounds fantastic i went i went on my honeymoon to thailand and uh yeah it was three weeks of lovely weather and i want to go back that's for sure so you wanted to start a business you didn't have any money you wanted to set up a business school so if you could go back to that time what happened so how did that happen and who did you do it with well i think slightly before that i got fired which was the kind of catalyst for all of this and i'm sure this happens to people like you get into a job and then it takes something to push you to do something else and mine was getting fired and then i started to look for other jobs and was like there's nothing i really want to do there's no job that lights me up so i decided to set up my own training company And I set up a training company, struggled to find clients. You know, all the stuff you go through at the start, you struggle to make sales. You struggle to know who your target market is, where to focus, who your niche is. The same questions I fought with at the start, the same questions every business does. And what the training business, what was it going to be training out? So I started off wanting to do NLP, which stands for Neuro Linguistic Programming, And then I realized everyone who ever goes on an NLP course wants to set up a training or coaching business. And it's quite a crowded marketplace. (laughs) And then to become a trainer, I decided to join Toastmasters and learn how to present. And I developed a lot of skills. And then someone said, would you do a presenting skills course? So I said, okay. 
uh, and I did some presenting skill courses and I did time management and I kind of got famous for teaching people to present. That was the big thing that stuck. And one of my big clients was Microsoft. That was like my big success moment was landing Microsoft and teaching them how to use PowerPoint. Wow. Okay. So you, you were effectively teaching people how to present and that, and that's now gone into a, a full-on business school that's based in Westminster with franchises all around the world. Yeah, I taught people how to present. I launched the training business. And somewhere along there, I went for help from Business Link. Do you remember Business Link, the British yes. government agency? Yeah, I yeah. actually had an experience with them when I was setting up our company in 2012. Before then, I applied for some assistance, I think, with them. And uh, yeah, we got we got rejected. You got rejected? I believe so, yeah, because our figures were unattainable or something like that, as in like they <laughs> they didn't believe that we could do what we could do. So, um, yeah, they, they didn't choose to help us. What did that do to you when they said no? How did you react? Well, I, th- I think the one of the other reasons is because I was still in a full-time employment as well. So I think there were, it was the time commitment thing side of things as well. So one of the things that I, I did is I was like, well, I'm going to do it anyway. Um, and I effectively <laughs> started teaching myself to, to build a website and I just spent every evening learning how to build a website and I eventually launched that website. We then started getting a few customers and between working full time and effectively running the business, we eventually got to a stage after about two years where I was able to leave that business. Luckily was offered a redundancy package, um, but it took two years to get to that point. And my obviously theory was that if we had money back then, we could have stopped straight away, gone full time in the business. But because we had to build it up over a number of years, it took a lot longer to kind of get to that stage. Yeah, sometimes it takes time to get the first clients and to find them. And there's the two opinions of how you should start a business. There's the burn the boats, quit the job, go all in, uh, because that will work out really well. And then there's build it on the slide side, work out your customers, but it takes a lot longer. And those tend to be the two routes people go. Are you glad you did what you did? Or do you still look back and wish you'd quit the job, gone all in? I 100% wish I'd quit the job and gone all in. Yeah. Interesting. I think the main reason was, is when I was made redundant, I still felt like I needed to have that wage come in each month even though I was running a business. So I actually got like a part-time job two days a week because I was like, right, I still Uh, need to make sure I've got some money coming in. And what it was is I was walking about 10 minutes down the road to work for Carnival Cruises. And I was going in there doing nine till five. And my lunchtime, I'd walk back, do an hour's work, earn twice the money, and then go back (laughs) into work and earn a little bit more. But effectively i was earning more in an hour than i was in two days working i suddenly sat down after about a month and realized what am i doing and uh yeah decided to quit the part-time job as well and then went all in i love that because that's like having taught entrepreneurship for some years that's one of the things people talk about is when they're starting a business is like what will my salary be what will my wage be and i've spent so long talking to people and trying to say forget salaries exist is profit. If you make profit, you can have money out of the business and spend it. If you don't make profit, you don't get a salary. Like 
stop thinking I will get two grand a month, three grand a month. It's like, what are you selling and what's your profitability and how does that work? But I think after years in corporate jobs, and I was the same, you get addicted to the wage. It's quite an addictive thing to get that every month. It, it is. It's a, it's a safety net, though, isn't it? You know, every month you know what you're going to get come in and you know what you can spend and you know that if you spend more than that, you're in trouble. If you spend less than that, you can save a bit. So I think it's that mindset of going, I'm going to be in control of that, that is a hard one to wrestle with. And I think that's the reason that it took me so long to to overcome it. And like you said, it, you almost need a reason. And my reason was being offered redundancy. And I was like, if I'm going to do it, I need to do it now, because otherwise I'm just going to be in the same boat in a few years time, running a small business on the side, working 60, 70 hour weeks, because I'm trying to do two jobs, essentially. So it's amazing how it went around in and then eventually worked as the, the driver that kind of made it, I have to do it. I went to Business Link for support and they gave me three workshops, how to write a business plan, finance, which finance is just a code word for where to get debt, uh, and then marketing. And they did more to put me off starting a business than they did to actually help me. And by the end of their service, I was thinking, I don't actually want to do this. I don't want to go into debt. My dad went bankrupt for a lot of money starting a business, and I did not want to repeat what he did. And I was lost after going to Business Link, thinking, is this even possible? And I wrote, like, <laughs> I'm not really the type of person that sits there and takes things. I wrote a letter to the person in central government that funded the entire Business Link project, telling him what I thought of his service. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, he actually took it really well. He gave me a ring. His name was Glenn Averfold. I couldn't believe it. He rung me and we chatted for like an hour. He was trying to help me with ideas, trying to get talk me back down from the mess I'd got myself in after these workshops. And he said, we're not all like that. Let me send someone to help you. And the person he sent was a guy called Simon. We chatted in a cafe and I said, writing business plans and taking debt doesn't help people start businesses like you put me off and he was from a different part of business link and he said yeah i've had the same experience every time i do the business plan thing people get lost they stop making progress they stop focusing on sales and the loan thing they start spending money instead of making money and we come to the same conclusion from completely different places and simon actually became my business partner and we launched rebel business school together based off those early conversations of business plans and debt actually stop people from starting businesses as much as they do help people so simon was actually working for business link and then ended up leaving business link to join with yourself he did indeed yeah we joined together and then launched this thing and eventually we ended up doing some of those government contracts that business link used to so it kind of came full circle which was very interesting amazing so simon is he still with the business now he is he's still with the business he runs it mainly uh, i'm just a pretty face fantastic i think the thing with um i think the thing with business plans like you said is uh, everyone makes a plan and you can go into lots and lots and lots of detail but then as soon as business starts, it never goes out how it's planned. And I tend to find that you literally just never look at that business plan again. 
but the actual plan itself is so intimidating when you work out the numbers that sometimes I feel, is it worth doing? It's like the plan goes out of the window as soon as you talk to a customer. I spent two weeks writing this glossy business plan. It had graphs and charts and numbers. It was beautiful. I put it in the drawer, went to see a customer and said, here's my plan. And they said, no, we don't want that. We want this. And in that moment, I had a choice. I either go, I'm sticking with my plan. Screw you, Mr. Customer. Or I go, I will sell you what you want and ditch my plan and I have a business. And in that moment, I went, well, okay, you don't want that. You want this. Okay. And I went back to them with a price, won my first client, and I never looked at the business plan again. I did actually find it when I cleared out my apartment, uh, and I was kind of shocked at how bad it was. And I did do that <laughs> standard thing everyone does, which says the uh, the national market for this is this so if we can gain 1% of the national market, we will be worth X million in X years, which is what every business plan says. Uh, and I've never seen one that plays out. So like, why are we bothering writing them? Why don't we go and see a customer and ask them what they want to buy? It's a tick box exercise, isn't it? Almost. It's like, this is what you need to do because everybody else says you need to do this. So It is definitely I, I... a tick box exercise. <laughs> started your um, business so obviously the, the you know the training side of the business what was kind of more challenging than you expected <laughs> cold calling and finding customers uh like finding those first customers was the challenge and it probably doesn't seem it now talking to me now but when i was younger i was quite shy and i didn't like making phone calls i still have like 10 percent weirdness of making phone calls but like i just breathe through it and move on now i've learned to deal with it but making those phone calls finding customers going to networking events i'm still not comfortable with villavants and networking events they're a little bit weird but you know you get past it don't you when you talk to people the hardest thing was finding customers and i don't think people really understand how difficult that actually is it is, I mean, it's the most, in my opinion, it's the most important thing there is because without customers, you don't have a business. And I think it's very easy to worry about every other part of, you know, you need to get your finance sorted, you need to get your logistics sorted, you need to have an office, you need to have everything. You need you a have website. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Everyone starts with a website of, you know, what it's going to be. But you do need that infrastructure, but you only need it once you have customers. Just focus yeah. on that first one. <laughs> get the customers first and that's what we actually realized so if you look at the traditional way of starting a business it is uh come up with an idea write a business plan once you've written a business plan you borrow money you then take that money and you buy inventory stock office i don't know whatever it is you can spend the money on and you spend all that money so you're in debt then after you've spent all the money you've set up the website you've done everything then you go and see a customer right at the end the last thing you do in the process is sales. And if the customer says no at that point, that's painful because you've spent a lot of money and a lot of time setting up. So what we said was, why don't you turn that process on its head and start with sales? So let's come up with an idea and then go and ask someone if they want it. If they want it, then let's build it, create it, set it up and sell it to them but we will only create it 
if there is a customer for it. So we have this thing of like create second, sell first. Because if you do it the other way around, you put yourself at huge risk if you're building all this stuff and then going out in the market and going, I hope someone buys. <laughs> Something you pitch to your to your clients is that you can start a business without debt. So yes. what I'd like to know is how did you how did you overcome that challenge with with Rebel Business School? So for us, our first idea was to start a business school. And I started down the same path again, writing a plan. Uh, I looked at buildings. I worked out how much we needed. And at the time, I estimated we needed about a quarter of a million to rent a building, deck it out, set it up, uh, ready for the first cohort of people. And you'd have to sell the cohort of people onto coming onto it. And I thought, this is just ridiculous. So uh, we then completely changed and I can't remember who said it, whether it was Simon or I, we were having a coffee one day and we were like, well, let's just pop up instead. Let's just pop up in other people's buildings. I'm like, okay, we could do that. We could find a space and pop up. And I found a client, which was a housing association. It was in Western Supermare. And we went to see them and said, this idea, we've got this idea, we can help your people start business without debt. Uh, and we sort of did the deal to run the training course for their residents, said it'll be two weeks along. Uh, and then we said to them, well, have you got a venue we can pop up in on site? And they helped us find a venue. So we borrowed a venue. And I, I, literally, I don't, I think we've probably paid for three or four venues in 10 years of doing this. We just pop up in other people's venues. We've borrowed shops in shopping centres. We've borrowed space in community halls, in universities. We've borrowed space, done events that help people. So we, we didn't need to borrow anything. We just popped up. And it was I guess it came from just looking at it a different way. Essentially, you know, those event spaces already were there. You only needed them for X number of time, for X number of weeks. All you have to do is hire them. You don't need to buy exactly, them. exactly. I don't need to own the asset. I just need to borrow it. And if you look, like we normally teach five ways to start a business for free, and the first is, um, can you borrow it? Forget owning it. Can you borrow it from someone? Is there someone that has the camera that you need to launch your photography business, but they only use it at weekends? Is there someone that has the piece of equipment that you need to do that? Is there a venue you need? Can you borrow it? If you can't borrow it, can you barter for it? I.e., can you swap your skills for something else? Uh, and it's incredible what you can do by swapping skills. If you can't barter for it, is there a way to get it for free? Because it's, unbelievable what you can literally get for free like type in free business cards into google and you can find those i don't know who uses business cards anymore but it seems to be what everyone wants when they launch their business to feel good about themselves look i'm ceo now and i have my business cards um i think it's then, just nice to have in a wallet isn't it so you can pull it out every now and then <laughs> that's, that's where mine stay the <laughs> we've i think we've got some business cards have we I think you probably have. Oh, I probably have. Yeah, I've probably ordered five hundred of them, and I've still got. I've probably got four hundred ninety nine now. So uh. yeah, when I first launched, I bought the stationery pack, and it had letterhead, business cards, and compliment slips. Who uses compliment slips nowadays? And I just 
like is ridiculous. I ended up throwing away nearly all of them because we actually moved to dress about three years in. But who uses that stuff? I, th- I think that's the thing, isn't it? When you when you first begin, you do go through that journey of wastage, as in like you spend a lot of money on stuff that you do- you don't really need. And I, I think that's one of the one of the biggest takeaways that I pr- I probably had when I look back at you know the beginning stages of setting up a business is often like you said we focus on everything else but actually getting customers because we know the challenges that come in through later life when you actually already have those customers that you're trying to solve those problems before they exist. Yes, and I think that's what everyone tries to do is they try and create the perfect business that solved all the problems before the problems even exist. And I guarantee the problem you think will be the problem is not the actual problem you will encounter. You need to do the thing and then you will work out what the problem is. The biggest thing that I'd love to give your audience is sell before you create. Because I think that's the opposite of what everyone does when they're starting a business. They create first, they sell second, because they're like, I need to build it before I can sell it. And I'm like, no, don't do that. Sell it first and then create it. And there are so many ways to do that. And to give you an example, I was coaching a lady. um, She was an artist. She didn't know what type of art she wanted to do. She had some ideas. We spoke for a while. And in the end, she loved comic book art. And she really wanted to create a comic. And her idea was, well, I'll spend like however long it takes, six months creating the comic, and then I'll sell it afterwards. It's like, why would you do that? We don't know if anyone wants it. Let's sell it first and create it second. We actually use Kickstarter with her, but there's so many ways you can do it. You can do it on Indiegogo. You can just go and see customers. And we ran this big campaign. We went to see if there was customers. She was so nervous the night before launch. Uh, and she actually sold out her Kickstarter within about 24 hours. She Amazing. collected all the cash first. Then she produced the comic book and delivered it to those customers second. But people are used to paying upfront for things in modern day society. So stop building all these things and sell it first. And I don't care. Like If you can sell a house before it exists, you can sell anything before it exists. Have you ever come across someone with a business where this advice doesn't apply? No. No? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Like, they think it doesn't apply because they're stuck with the vision they want. So I don't care whether it's a restaurant business, an app. uh, There is always a way to build a version, sell a version, have a sample that you can sell from before you create the whole thing. There is always a way. But some people don't want to do that. They are stuck in their heads on this is the way to do it, and they're not flexible. And that stuckness is actually what causes people a lot of problems in entrepreneurship. They've had a vision, and there's no other way to do it. Uh, Naturally, you need to start small sometimes to learn the lessons you need to learn to get to the next step to get to your vision eventually. If you jump to the vision, it's really risky because then you're spending all your money on time and building something you don't even know if people want. You don't know what problems are going to come up. So with with a restaurant business, um, obviously that would imply that you have you know a fixed location and you have staff and you have tables and you have a theme and you have you know all the food that you have to get in before you get customers. How would you advise someone who's looking to set up a restaurant business? Aha, uh-huh. I love it. You're trying to trip me up, Dan, uh, with the <laughs> restaurant business. Pick the one that's the hardest. Uh, 
I actually had a, a, there was a guy that wanted to start a restaurant business in London. Uh, He did not have the money to do it. Like starting a restaurant takes a lot of capital because of the building, the refurbishing, setting everything up. Then you open the doors and you go, ta-da, does anyone want to eat my food? And that's a really, that's a, a clenching moment as to whether or not you make the money to pay back the loans. And this particular guy didn't want to do it that way. So what he did was he looked around the local area for spaces that weren't used all the time. And he found a cafe, a breakfast cafe, you know, like one of the cafes that opens from like seven in the morning till 3.30 in the afternoon. They did breakfast and lunch. And he made friends with the owner and he said, look, I'm always, I want to test my restaurant idea. I don't know if it'll work. Could I borrow your space for a week in the evening to do a pop-up version? Could we do a test and we'll do a profit share? Like you've got nothing to lose because if it doesn't work, it doesn't work, but you could do really well out of this. And they did a deal like that. And he secured the space to do a week long test in the evening. And just thinking about that, he's borrowed a restaurant with all the plates, all the equipment, the tables, even the licenses for the kitchen that the kitchen is certified. He obviously needs his own health and safety certificates. You've got to do that. And there's a few bits you actually have to do. But he's borrowed nearly everything he needs. And then his stroke of genius was it was a pop-up event. Like, when do you sell tickets to a pop-up event? before yeah before it yeah in advance you don't wait for people to show up so he sold the whole thing out before he did it uh and then he actually took the money to the restaurant owner and said look here's your share of the profits before he even ran it the guy's face was (laughs) shocked but it went so well he wanted to do it a second week they did it a third week uh and eventually by trading in that space he earned enough money to be able to transition to his own restaurant space but he did it from sales not from debt. And that's the thing. Everyone wants to jump to the vision with debt and stop, sell first, learn, and then grow. So he, yeah, he basically tested his, tested his business, found that it worked, got the money in, and then built it. Which exactly. Is, exactly. Okay. Well, that's definitely overcome that one, didn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I just think like, <clears throat> so people are very stuck on the standard way of doing things and it's like it's been written by banks that you have to do it this way you have to write the business plan formulate this have everything in line you must have your logo your business cards and everything set only then can you sell and it's just not true in the real world of entrepreneurship and if you want to get flexible you can find a way to build a business without debt you can find it but you have to get flexible you have to try different things start in different ways they actually tend to be some of the most profitable and well-run businesses in the long run because they've learned how to do it in a different way. I think, I think, yeah, hundred percent. And going back to when I started now, I haven't even realized that I did it, but I, I did do it a similar way. So obviously, yeah, through business link, I, th- I think I may have done um, where I went wrong is I probably went too big. Cause I, I remember telling them I was going to build like a hundred million pound empire and I was going to do X, <laughs> Y, and Z and I was going to start in this and go on to this. And I think they just thought I was, you know, completely not going to do any of that, obviously. Um, so 
when we launched in Red Catless Events, we had a website, but no suppliers would work with us because every mm. time we phoned a supplier and we said, you know, could we list you on our website? They would say, we've never heard of you. You know, have you got any customers? And we'd be like, we haven't got any customers. So what we did is we thought, well, we're going to get customers then. Um, we put some adverts out, got some customers in, and then we phoned the same suppliers and said, oh, we've got, um, you know, 20 people looking to go here, 30 people looking to go there. And suddenly they started saying, oh, okay, well, now we can we can give you this rate and we can give you this. And, you know, we started talking to them more and more and we got better discounts, better rates and more commission, essentially. Um, and that was how we built it. Um, and that took two years. So, yeah, in theory, we we probably went on a similar journey without realizing. I love that. And the difference in those same suppliers, when you go to them with a prospective idea, they're a bit like, get lost, come back when you've got a natural customer. And then when you go to them and go, I've got money, would you like it? Uh, and it's a completely different <laughs> response and energy that you get back because they're like, oh, okay, this person's got customers. They're serious. They're not just wasting time with ideas and a piece of paper. They have actually want to do business. And I think, yeah, for anyone listening to this, get the customers, do the business. You just skip all the rest and do the business and that will launch it. If you get a customer, you have a business. If you don't have a customer, you don't have a business. Business plan does not equal business. Website does not equal business. Customer yeah. equals business. So have you had any kind of people that are against your philosophy? Like I think when we, <laughs> we spoke originally, you said the old guard. I don't know if you want to go into more detail of who they are. Uh, well, there's the traditional people, the business advisors that do this. And uh, when we first launched and we run that first customer, the first thing the housing association did was set us up a meeting with the local uh, ex-business link provider. And the first thing they did was come in and attack us. Where's our qualifications? Why are we doing this? You should be getting people to write business plans. It's irresponsible doing this. And we got attacked immediately. Uh, part of that was we'd taken what they saw as their customer and money they should have had. And another part of it was like, this is just wrong. Your approach is wrong. Where's the written down backing? Where's all the other stuff? This is like just wrong and that's repeated itself for a long time but if you look at do you know who the biggest provider of entrepreneurship training in the world is the banks yes and it's generally run by bank managers uh, have bank managers ever started a business unlikely i would say yeah and what's the prime like how do banks make money out of new businesses by borrowing or lending, sorry, to those businesses, yeah. Is so their target market? Is their target market? It, it makes sense. Like if I was a bank, I'd be running entrepreneurship training and telling people you need to borrow money and you need a bank, business bank account uh, because that's how you make profit, hit your targets. But the people doing it, they're not. They're not entrepreneurs. They've never been entrepreneurs, and it's really fascinating. Like the people who teach entrepreneurship don't run businesses they're university lecturers they're bank managers they're accountants who run these courses and teach people to start businesses and they've never started their own yeah so they, they've never they've never actually got their hands dirty and actually had a go at it i mean one of the things that um 
looking back when I was at university is I, I did a, a you know degree in business and then I did um, a master's in business and I came out and I was basically trained for working in the corporate environment because within about three months of starting a business I realized I knew absolutely nothing about running a business and <laughs> I was learning the same as everyone else because I was you know when I did accounting it was preparing huge accounting spreadsheets for you know billion dollar companies or it was looking at marketing when you've got a budget of 150,000 or something like that so when you've got a budget of nothing you you're not you're not taught how to how to work with that essentially so you you are kind of geared up for the corporate world um so rebel business school 10 is it 10 years old now i believe yes we've just had our 10th anniversary we're edging our way to being a moody teenager <laughs> What did you do to celebrate? Did you do anything big? Uh, I decided I wanted to give away a course. So I designed a course called the Extraordinary Life Course. And it was a five-week course about lifestyle design, how to design an extraordinary life. And we put it online and we gave it away free. And we had 4,500 people sign up and we ran this huge course helping people break out of where they are and get towards the life they've always wanted to live. Because actually I've become fascinated about lifestyle design and building a life you actually want to live. Um, Because people think that uh, bubble baths and chocolate is self-care, whereas (laughs) I don't believe that. I believe true self-care is building a life you don't want to run away from. Yeah. One one person I think told me before that uh, if you can get up in the morning and not hate what you do, you're doing all right. Which doesn't sound <laughs> like a great kind of low aspirational, <laughs> aspirational quote. But um, at the time, I was like, oh, okay, that sounds really good actually, because I didn't actually like what I was doing. So I was like, yeah, no, that's something to aspire to, um, but not not obviously uh, as uh, as much as that. I'm aspiring to not hate my life. That's exactly. my goal at the moment. Yeah. Well, I think there's a version. I don't think there's ever been a better time in history to find something that you actually enjoy doing. But like you can make money doing something you actually enjoy. You don't have to put up with a job you hate. And, and just to give you one example, if I may, I I did a Facebook post, and you've got to love people who comment on Facebook sometimes. I did a Facebook post that said, uh, you can make money doing what you love. And the first comment back was, I love sleeping. How do you make money out of that? (laughs) Whatever. That is a tough Um, one. That is a tough one. Well, I actually found my answer at the Glasgow Rebel Business School we ran. uh, And there was a young guy there we helped. He started a blog reviewing mattresses. So he would actually be sent the mattresses, he would test them, he would review them, and then he affiliated linked the mattresses on the blog. So you would read the article guide to choosing mattress, and then you could click on the link, he would get a commission for every one he sold. And he was making an unbelievable amount, north of 100 grand a year selling mattresses online. And that was my answer. Like, If you can make money testing mattresses and writing about it, you can make money doing anything. There's never been a better time in history to make money doing something you actually enjoy. The internet has created uh, an absolutely <laughs> crazy world, isn't it? <laughs> it is a crazy world and I love it. There is all sorts of weird stuff. So 
so one of the things that we we like talking about on this on this show essentially is failure. So one of the things I think that entrepreneurs have to do is go through failures. And obviously there's different levels of of failing. I like to think that if we're failing regularly, we're going to succeed at some point. So we keep trying and trying and trying again, or we're just around the corner from actually succeeding. Have you come across anything that's really caused your business to um, fail? And how did you kind of overcome it, essentially? (laughs) Have I failed? Uh, Once or twice. Um, (laughs) I think, so my new philosophy is fail fast, fail cheap. Uh, Back in the old days, I would fail slow, fail expensively. I I, I would spend money setting things up. I would like work on them really hard and it would take long time and then I'd go and see a customer. And if it goes wrong at that point, you spend lots of money, you spend lots of time and failed badly. Whereas now it's like, okay, I'll send an email to 10 people and see if they want to buy. If no one says no, well, I've lost anything and I've failed fast and I've failed cheap. And I think early on, one of my most painful and worst year in business I just come off the back of running an incredibly successful project for a bunch of schools teaching entrepreneurship. And I loved it. The kids loved it. Everyone loved it. And I was like, this is it. I'm going to run entrepreneurship events for schools. This is the big one. This is it. They love it. I love it. I can make money. And I started calling schools. I started networking. I networked all the way up to environment of education. I spent a year selling this thing. And I didn't sell another school. I spent a year of my life trying to sell in schools. And two things like I learned. One was schools believe they do entrepreneurship education well. And two, schools didn't have that budget for that outside work. They did when I started. It was a particular point in time, but they didn't have it after that. And it was one of the most painful years of constant rejection constant calling pushing like if you're going to fail do it quickly don't spend as long as i did it is hugely painful and i think that would be my piece of advice and learning from that is if you're going to launch a product or a business put it in front of a thousand people in the first week or two and see if anyone buys and you will get your answer as to whether or not the market wants it very quickly and you can move on don't do it slowly and painfully like I did. That's one of them. I have many more, Dan. How many of my failures would you like to know about? Should we start with just 10? No, 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 no. <laughs> no, that, I mean, that is, a, that is a, a really, really good example of, you know, obviously persistence as well, you know, to keep going, keep going, keep going. But I, I guess what you just came up against in the end was it was a, a difficult, difficult sell. And it was always going to be, something that you, you're going to have to move on from and it's just making that call isn't it and that's the thing because I, I, it's like setting up your baby when you do something new isn't it and you're like no this is going to mm-hmm. go into the world this is going to work i just need to do it more i just need to push it harder i just need to do spend more time on it and then when people continuously tell you no you keep going because that's like the entrepreneur side of things isn't it because you think no i will make it work i will make it work so what did you obviously you had that year what what, what then came next Uh, I think that was then the presentation skills business that I then started to go, okay, I need to shift. I need to do different things. Where can I find this? Where can I find that? I was just pushing myself out there to try and find any business at that stage and see what bought, what, what people wanted, what they 
bit on. Uh, and I think there's a big bit of like, what do people actually want? And if you don't have a business idea, that's one thing you can do is go to people and ask them what their biggest problems are and then figure out how to solve them and charge them for it. That's a fantastic strategy and a much better way of doing it rather than coming up with an idea in isolation and then going out there and seeing if anyone wants it. Like you might as well see if there's the problem to be fixed to start with. Yeah. Yeah, and that's really, really good advice. I think it's quite powerful as well. Would you ever revisit that idea of going to schools? Uh, it no. still could work. Still um, could work. It, I, think it could could work. I did. So I get asked occasionally to do like guest lectures and different bits. And I did one last year uh, for a school in Colombia. And it was one of the most painful experiences. All the kids, it was an online one, all the kids have their camera off. No one interacted. I'd ask a question. There was like crickets and silence. It's just like, no, I'd rather do it with people who want to listen to me rather than ones that are forced to be there. Uh, so I definitely have this bit of now our training. If you want it, come to us. If you don't, that's cool because we've run events where people are forced to be there and it's not fun. With, um, with the virtual side of things, obviously the pandemic hit. Um, and I'm assuming your, well, all, all your teachings, everything like that, did they move online or, or what happened? Basically, everything ended in about a week. We lost all our business. Everyone cancelled because no one knew what was going on. And starting businesses was the last priority. It was like survival time. And we lost hundreds of thousands of business in about a week. I had an event planned at Google's offices in New York City, and it was cancelled. Like, I'm still mourning some of the stuff that was cancelled in the pandemic. Um, and, yeah, it took us about three, four months to figure out how to do the next bit to persuade one of our clients to go online. Most of our clients are councils, housing associations, like some of the more traditional organisations, and they weren't they were busy doing other things as they should have been and they weren't sure about going online. They were, we were all thinking it was going to be a few months and then we'd be back to normal. Um, so it actually took some time to get that first client and boy, am I glad we had a large emergency fund. I don't know about you in the events business. Did you have a similar thing where everything was, was cancelled? We, we had exactly the same thing. Um, so it kind of happened in waves for us. So we, uh, we have a Europe side of the business um, for obviously people from the UK traveling to Europe. And it's quite bizarre looking back now, but we had people that were canceling that were going to Germany, they were going to Spain, they were going to France because those countries were going in lockdown. But we were still having people in the UK book for the UK. So we were people, having people going, well, I can't go to Germany anymore, so I'd like to go to, I don't know, Birmingham. And we're like, I'm pretty sure <laughs> things are going to come back to here. Like, There's not like an impenetrable wall between us and Europe. Um, so we had that first wave initially come in um, kind of to begin towards the end of February. And then beginning of March, obviously, there was a lot of news um, interest in the UK about, you know, coming over here. And then before we know it, within the space of a week, yeah, we we lost around 150,000 in business because all of our bookings that came in for that summer between, you know, they come in in January and March. And they go away between April and, and August. So suddenly, everybody that was going away wanted a refund. Mm -hmm. So we then had to refund 
nearly 90% of that um, to people that were already planning to go away but were no longer able to. So luckily, we you know we have client money essentially set up. So that was a client money area. So it was literally a case of just having to do a, a hell of a lot of admin. Um, mm-hmm. But the actual business itself, we shut it down, essentially, put it into hibernation um, for a couple of months while we were trying to work out how long it was going to last for like you we were like well by july august we'll be we'll be back to normal and we'll just be trading we'll just have a a couple of months doing admin and stuff like that and then it obviously dawned on us that it wasn't going to be that case so we moved into the the virtual events market and within about two months of deciding so we decided in about july that we were going to move into it we then approached dan who as a entertainer so dan was in the kids party world um discussed with him about bringing his product on online and entertaining corporate companies through quizzing um and before we knew it we were suddenly getting inundated with companies all over the world wanting to book virtual events we completely sold out for christmas and we we literally just didn't have enough capacity so it was a hell of a turnaround. We then brought everyone back from furlough and everyone was in the office. And, you know, to be honest, we'd never been so busy. We could have employed about five or six extra people and we'd still struggle to keep up. So it, it was a complete whirl, whirlwind of experiences. But yeah, obviously, you know, like, like yourself, being in the events industry, we were in the business of getting people together. Yes. And Physically, the governments so the world were telling people not to get together. So yeah. went against our model, essentially. <laughs> yeah, us too. The one saving grace for us was we had a big emergency fund. So I, like, if you're listening to this and you have sales, uh, sales can go away for a variety of reasons. And if you're in business long enough, things change, things happen. Like you can't predict. You won't have a smooth, steady stream of sales forever. Things happen. So have an emergency fund. And we say like three to six months of cash so that you can survive and still like look after yourself, but build an emergency fund when you launch your business. Because I think most people get the business going and they're like, oh, this is going great and it'll go great forever. And that's not the case. Things change, things happen, have an emergency fund. We're going into some turbulent times and it feels like impending doom has been around the global economy for, for about nine months now. How is your business faring with huge inflation and higher interest rates and companies that are probably pulling back on on you know training budgets and schools and other other areas? How how, is, how has things impacted yourself? So inflation is not really a problem because we don't have any debt. I am very much anti debt. You do not. You can probably tell from what we've spoken about. You don't need debt. <laughs> Just avoid that. Um, we had a big cash cushion. Uh, inflation is obviously a problem for everyone because the cost of doing things has gone up and the suppliers put their prices up, you put your prices up, no one likes it. I think actually our business is quite interesting because in tough times, people spend more on services like us to ignite the economy. Whereas in better times, people like, okay, we don't really need you, everything's going well. So it's really quite interesting. I think we will be fine in our particular business. And I think this is always the thing. There are certain businesses that do well in recessions and certain businesses that do well in the opposite bull markets. And sometimes we have to shift if things change. We need to shift. And that's actually 
what killed my dad's business was the uh, big recession of the late 80s. He was in selling sportswear, which at the time was seen as a luxury good, and people stopped buying luxury goods overnight. And he had all these shops with lots of staff and expensive rents, and he went bankrupt in a split second. And things can change very, very fast. So I think as an entrepreneur, you need to be looking for the opportunities, working out what's selling. And if people are starting to say, I'm not buying this, start to work out what their new problems is and sell them what else you could do. There's always a way to shift and pivot, just like you did in the middle of the pandemic. I'm so impressed by that. But in the middle of one of the toughest times for an events business, you're fully booked. That's phenomenal. But you were able to change and shift and find something that did sell. And that is nearly always possible. Yeah, I I guess it's an element of being in the right place at the right time, better luck, and also just resilience as well, isn't it? Because you've just got to keep going, I think, and you've got to keep looking for that opportunity. This podcast is sponsored by Shazoo.co. They put together branded swag boxes for new employees that made the onboarding experience personal. Check out Shazoo.co today. I was going to go on to the head of economic development in Birmingham. I just wanted to find out how things are with them. (laughs) I love them. They were fabulous to work with. I did uh, make a huge mistake. Uh, The head of economic development at the time we were working with, his name was Baljeet. He's such a nice guy. And, you know, you do like voice to text on your phone and you like say the message. So I said, hi, Baljeet, comma, you know, how are you? And left a bit of a message. And I press send. And you know, sometimes you like the text changes as it updates and it goes, oh, you didn't mean that. You said this. And it changed his name to Anal. <laughs> so I wrote a text to the head of economic development for Birmingham City Council saying, hi, Nate. Hi, Anal. How are you? Uh, with a load of business questions. And I don't think I've ever been so embarrassed in all my life. I rung him immediately apologizing. Uh, he did say he gets lots of different uh, autocorrect spellings of his name. Did it, and he, he's, you know, he did reply, I'm assuming. <laughs> I, I rung him. I didn't give him a chance to reply. It's like, I'm not leaving that one. I rung him. I found that is the best possible way to deal with any problem is just ring someone immediately uh, <laughs> and say sorry. Often, often, I guess, you know, especially in an email or any other kind of message form, things can be taken the wrong way. So if you'd have continuously called him anal, I guess, then that would have been, you know. (laughs) (laughs) So one of your successes was getting a Queen's Award for Enterprise. When was that and how did that kind of come about? That was last year. Last year, um, we won the Queen's Award for Enterprise, which was just unbelievable but how does it come about uh you apply for it which i don't know if everyone knows this but i'd love you to get this the people that win the awards are the ones who apply for the awards so if you're listening to this with a business right now apply for awards share what you're doing tell people no one else is going to shout about your business unless you do and i think that's a critical thing and we shouted about what we did and we filled out the form we applied for it like you still have to go through all the process you get selected you still have to be 
I guess is the word lucky, but you have to be like found within that process. And yeah, we won a Queen's Award for Enterprise. So we have a certificate signed by the Queen uh, for our award and the Lord Lieutenant came and delivered the award. And it was just amazing being able to get that award and be recognised for the work we've done around the world. Uh, and even in the UK, we've helped 20,000 people start businesses and been through our courses in the UK. Uh, and then you look around the world and the podcast and you know, we're heading fast towards a million downloads with the podcast. Wow. And it's been yes. an incredible journey. That's, a, that's amazing. So was the award, hand, where, where was it handed out, sorry? Uh, we, in London. Yeah, it was in London. Uh, there was an event, an afternoon tea event. Simon, my business partner, get got to go and he met it was at the time prince charles uh, had his picture taken with him and nice. yeah it was very cool very cool yeah lovely well we have to look into that then yeah it's good it's good advice um, <laughs> <laughs> fill out you know, the I, awards I, now <laughs> yeah I've, I've always i mean I, i've always assumed to be honest that yeah you usually have to be nominated or someone has to kind of push you towards it as in like you know i reckon you know you're going to get get this award through so is it award you have to pay for or is it just like a free application you just have to fill out all the details essentially well it depends which ones you go for most of them are applications some try and charge you some actually make money out of entrepreneurs for the awards which is a bit cheeky some of the big ones you like this is going to sound bad also but i'd rather say it as it is like the sponsors like if you sponsor the event sometimes you win the award uh, there's a lot of it about the money and where that goes, but that's the bigger ones. There are some that are very pure and you apply and you do it and they look at it properly. Um, but yeah, look up local business awards, look up different awards, find something to apply for. You don't win what you don't apply for. And if you have to be a nominated, ask someone to nominate you. Like they won't think to do it themselves necessarily. Ask someone. It's great advice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I should admit this, but when I was doing my children's entertainment business in the market research stage, I'd look at other competitors and they would have these awards, best children's party, uh, 2000, whatever year, whatever year. And I actually thought that someone would come round like a scout and just like enter the, <laughs> end the party and sit there and just watch it. And they go, they'll get an award. He's going to get an award. <laughs> he is definitely the best but children's that, entertainer. It makes perfect yeah. sense. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> It's a, I guess it's a marketing game, isn't it? It's a marketing game. Um, so you mentioned your podcast there. And we, we wanted to go on to that because um, me and Dan have been listening to your podcast over the last couple of weeks. And Ooh. we love it. Absolutely love it. And um, Thank yeah, you. So you're, you're approaching nearly a million downloads. I mean, so yeah, tell us more. Uh, I was asking myself the question, how do I reach more people and help them? And uh, a podcast seemed the best way to put your message out there and try and help people. And I just started with that simple premise, how do you start a business with no money? That was the whole thing. And then I came up with ideas, how do I actually help people? I created coaching series where you can listen to someone building a business over a, a period of 12 episodes. In reality, it took me a year to create the podcast, but you'll hear it in 12 episodes. And I've yeah. been coaching them for a year and they come back each episode and say, I did what you said, Alan, it didn't work or it did work. <laughs> uh, and it's fascinating going through that. And yeah, just 
exactly like you. I wanted to help people. I wanted to put a message out there. I wanted to try and create change. And my mission for many years has been change the way entrepreneurship is taught because I think it's taught backwards. Uh, so I'm still on that mission. And I'm so grateful for the people who have listened. My methodology is now taught in universities around the world. It's starting to change things. And I'm hoping the next generation can build businesses without debt from just an idea and selling it and creating it. We've really enjoyed it. I mean, the one we've been listening to at the moment is about, you know, quite relevant. It's uh, setting up a podcast. So I, I know it's like four or five episodes and you know it's quite relevant to to a lot of, a lot of what we are currently doing i think it was imposter syndrome is one of them that we've uh, we've just recently listened to which is very relevant for us yeah i um, felt that this morning dan <laughs> <laughs> was a little bit nervous this morning i said to him it's all right he's, you know he's almost had a million downloads you know he's just you know he's just another he's podcast, just a normal though, you know dude. he's just i'm just a normal person i have the same weirdness as everyone else i'm just a normal person but uh, you know, obviously, you know, you, you've gone on a really good, <laughs> really good journey on that podcast. And how many episodes are you up to? You say over one hundred and eighty. It's something like one hundred and fifty or one hundred and eighty. I'd have to look it up. But yeah, it's been a long journey, and it's been a lot of fun. Have you have you got one? You know, it's probably a hard question, but have you got one guest that's been more impressionable on you than anyone else that you've had? Oh wow, the two jumped to mind. Uh, there was a guy called Sean Jenkins who built a billion-dollar business um, from scratch by himself. And his startup story of hustling to find a customer, learning sales, getting out there is just unbelievable. And you don't have to build a billion-dollar business, but it's interesting to see that even the biggest businesses in the world start with someone one person two people just selling something and making it happen and i love that and on the same note we had uh zev siegel the co-founder of starbucks on the podcast wow um, and he was telling us the story of building the furniture for the first store in his parents basement and how they set it up and how they did it and just it you know it doesn't matter what company it is it starts with someone just building it just making it selling and getting it out there and i just find those stories the stories of entrepreneurship are like oxygen oh if they can do it and they just did it like that maybe i can do it too i mean the the starbucks one i've, I've actually read their book um and it was a fascinating story because um he really liked coffee didn't he essentially and he couldn't find the coffee he wanted anywhere so he effectively created his own store to sell the coffee that he wanted and then everyone else loved it and then he created more stores and he grew and he, I think he bought the business that he originally worked in um, and moved into their locations and, and just grew exponentially from there onwards. And it was all built around the one basic that he wanted people to drink really good coffee. Yeah, and is, there was a couple of co-founders and the one I met, Zev, he's just such a nice guy. Uh, and I said to him after the end of the podcast, I will come and find you and I will buy you a coffee. And he said, you do know that I'm the co-founder of Starbucks. I will buy the coffee. Uh, he made <laughs> me laugh a lot. Um, but I actually flew out to Seattle to meet him and we went for coffee. And like, it's just really fascinating when you get into this world of the people you meet and the stories you hear. And a podcast allows you to talk to people that you just wouldn't normally be able to talk to you can just like ring up and say would you like to be on my podcast 
Absolutely, yeah, and that's how we're together, isn't it? You know, we, <laughs> we, we basically said, "Alan, would you uh, would you fancy joining us, Dan and Dan, on a you know our, our new venture?" And you said, "Sure." I'll, uh, I said, I'll tell "Yes." You about my journey. <laughs> a morning with Dan Squared is what I want. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I think we're getting to the point now where we kind of want to talk about like the the next part of Alan. So, what's your what's your kind of goals? What's your plans for the next ten years? 10 years, that's a long time frame, Dan. I don't think I've ever had a 10-year plan. <laughs> um, I, do, I tend to have a big mission, and then I make up cool stuff to do. I just I want to do cool things. So I don't, don't, like change the way entrepreneurship is taught is something that can never be done. You know, you can get there, you can make progress, but it's like a mission to go and do it. So I have a mission to help people create extraordinary lives and help unlock their potential, and I want to do that. Uh, And for me, the things I'm excited about are I'm going to write and publish our financial independence book with my wife. That's on our goals list for this year is to publish our first book. Um, I want to build the podcast. I just want to have more fun helping people. And that's been my big driver is to do cool stuff with cool people. I want to do cool projects and I want to get out there. I can't tell you where I'm going to be in 10 years, um, but I can tell you I will make some cool stuff happen. Excellent. Well, that sounds like a good plan. I mean, I have um yeah probably too many plans as in like i write them all down and i try and achieve them and i don't achieve nearly 90 percent of them but i I at least have some kind of like attempt to try um but it's it's always difficult because yeah like you said 10 years is a long time and um you can achieve a lot in a year but you can achieve a hell of a lot more in 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 10 years and it's just a case of how we can get from the starting of the business all the way to 10 years i can't quite believe in that journey how much you kind of learn and i think it's something that you you know if you're able to tell people like you are through your podcast through your you know your web pages through um your book that you've got coming out that is a you know amazing thing to give out and we i think already benefited we've already talked about it this morning so we're you know we we build events for companies essentially and we tend to wait for them to come to us and say we'd like to buy that because we've already built it. We've built this product and, and this is what it is and we'd like you to buy it. And then they come and go, actually, we'd like to change this bit or we'd like to do this or could you do this? And we end up almost like re-engineering the product and then having to sell it again, essentially. So I think yes. what we've learned is that we don't need to go through that whole period of the creation before getting the customer. We should just essentially ask the customer what they're looking for, create that for them and then sell that essentially. I mean, you might need to send them some ideas, like here's our starting ideas, here's your bits, but you don't need much more than that. It's like, here's the ideas and tell me what you fancy. And they'll go, actually, I like number one or I like a bit of this. Could you do this with this and that? And you inspire them and they come up with ideas. But absolutely, there's no reason you can't do it. Uh, And one final thought on the goals. I might not have a 10-year vision. I'm very focused on making things happen. And I think if you're listening to this, focus on getting your first sale, focus on launching the new product. It doesn't have to be a 10-year thing. It can be a two-month thing, a three-month thing. But set that goal and go out there and make it happen. It doesn't matter whether it works or not. What it matters is you do it. And if it doesn't work, you'll learn and have another go. And if it does work, 
then you've got a customer and you've got a business. So I might sound like, oh, I just, I just make cool shit happen. It's not necessarily true. Like I do have goals and I do make <laughs> things happen, but it's a lot more on a short-term focus, which actually builds up over time. And then you go, well, actually, I've been doing this for a while now and it's going really well. And, well, 10 years have passed and we've built an incredible business and done this and done that. And But it just happens in phases. You don't need a, like, a small change. I'd yeah. run a global business school. That was never in my thing. It's like, I want to sell one. That's all yeah. I want to do, just sell one. And then I did. And start, I was like, start with one in mind, isn't it? Start with one in mind. Perfect. Exactly. So on the goal side of things, do you have a do you have an end goal? It probably ends with death, Dan. I think that's the end. <laughs> an end goal. Business end goal. So, um, <laughs> I, I, I guess my my end goal would be to leave the business in an area where I've, I've, you know, I can still be involved with it, but I don't have to be. As in, like a choice. Essentially, that's what that's my probably end goal. Um, but I just wondered if you had something that, like that that you were working towards. So. I'd- I saved and invested with my wife a lot. We managed to hit financial independence about three years ago, which to us means we have more assets. Our assets produce more money than we need to live. So we didn't need to work again after that point. Uh, But the interesting thing is you still need a purpose. You can't just sit on the beach and drink margaritas 24-7. You need (laughs) something to do. You need a purpose. So I still have a purpose, and I don't think I have – the business runs itself. Simon does it. Henry does it. It's an incredible business and it does it. It's doing it in different places. But I don't want to just put myself out to pasture. I'm too young for that. I still want to do things. So I feel like I've reached the point where I've gone, okay, I've hit financial independence. My business is awesome. It's doing it. And I don't, I, there's no you've end. You've already reached that. Um, point where you have the choice essentially i think that's that's the sweet spot because you you can choose to work or you can choose not to work and you can still live essentially hence why you're in thailand and we're in south oxfordshire freezing uh, in a barn that's minus three with heat. <laughs> it really is freezing i'm actually shaking now, the heating's trying <laughs> trying its best but it's like got huge ceilings and yeah no absolute no insulation so it definitely uh, takes it <laughs> luckily there hasn't been an energy crisis recently so we're you know we're fine it's just pumping out uh, money out of the business essentially yeah. um my mum would say put on another jumper she, there was no energy crisis when I was younger, but she was like, I'm not turning on my eating, but on another jumper. So before we wrap up, have you listened to a podcast recently that's inspired you? Obviously, you know, in, in all honesty, your your podcast definitely has inspired us and we're going to be continuing listening, um, following you. your journey. And, and also, you know, we would like to investigate more about what you do as well and seeing how we can work um alongside you as well but yeah have you had uh, a podcast that you've listened to that you'd recommend other other kind of business owners or aspiring business owners to listen to uh the podcast that have inspired me i'd listen to tim ferris's podcast on some of the business episodes and he has some startup episodes but not all of them he covers a whole wide range of subjects if it was about financial independence it would be choose fi they are an awesome podcast about finances and money and saving and investing. Um, but those two have inspired me. And then one final one is a guy in Scotland called the Mad Scientist. 
financial scientist and uh, he's inspired me on my finance journey as well he's been a fantastic inspiring podcast awesome check it out we'll have to check those out yeah so alan You've been a, a fantastic guest. We've really enjoyed hearing your journey from you know the beginning. Your philosophy as well has been eye-opening to us as well. I'm sure it will be to everyone that's listening. Um, where can people find find out more about you? Uh, thank you for the flattery, Dan and Dan. I love it. Uh, <laughs> if you want to find out more about the Rebel Business School, all of the courses are for free. Just go to therebelschool.com and you can look on there. Uh, no one has ever paid to come on one of our courses. We get sponsors who pay for the course and then we give it away for free. So you can find that there. Or if you want to find out about me and financial independence and the weird and wacky stuff I do, just go to alandonagan.com. Lovely. We wish you know you're, you're well in your travels. Are you off anywhere after Thailand? Straight to Vietnam, uh, and then after Vietnam, we're off to Japan, and I'm going to Nintendo World. Oh, amazing. Well, that sounds <laughs> a lot more exciting than what we've got going on. I think you're off to Colchester next week, Dan, aren't you? <laughs> yeah. yeah. We've, got a, we've got an event there. So that, Leeds, that, Leeds in a couple of days. Leeds, uh, Leeds in later this week in Colchester Leeds is next beautiful. Week. Yeah. Leeds is beautiful. Well, thanks very much for joining us on the We Built This Business podcast with Dan. And Dan. Dan.